Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Welcome back, everybody, and thanks for listening again today. So today we're talking about purchasing a franchise, and that's one of the services that we do provide here at Transworld. But we get a lot of questions about buying a franchise versus buying kind of a a solo business or starting your own business. And I still think there's a lot of questions that are asked. So Andy, I know we've got some great guests on today talking about their experience with franchising. Yeah, we have a a couple guests that I interviewed. One of them was uh, the infamous uh, Bill Luce, the president of Transworld. But he has a, you know, and you know Bill well, right? Oh yeah, he's he's great. He's had has like over twenty five years of experience in franchising, um, from brands like Signorama and now Transworld. But he's just a wealth of knowledge um, overseeing these franchise brands and knowing what makes a franchise successful and what to look for in a successful franchise. Yeah, he's really great. I mean, obviously, he's my partner at Transworld, and he's done a great job of of taking Transworld to the next level and guiding our franchisees. And so he's just a great listen. And uh, so if you definitely want to tune in for that and stay tuned for that. And then I interview uh, Damian Becker and Damian is a great story as well. Damian came to the United States from South Africa and he was looking to buy a business and he wound up choosing to buy a franchise instead and it's an interesting story about why he chose a franchise instead. And since then, he has grown that franchise to be, you know, one of the top, uh, it's actually a Sinorama, one of the top Sinoramas in the country and now, you know, the top Sinorama here in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, and he's done that by thinking outside the box. So it's, again, he's great to listen to. You got to love that uh, South African accent. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 Then we also have an interview with my good friend, Ryan Tracy, who's an incredibly smart and successful entrepreneur and has really chosen to make his mark uh, through franchising as well with two different brands and started with a few stores. And now I think he's up to 20 or 25 different units across the two brands. And like I said, incredibly successful and, you know, very, very smart and sharp. And he talks to us about why he chose to go the franchising route and what he's done to make his, you know, build his empire through these two brands. Well, you see that franchising aside, all you have to do is drive down the street and see like how many franchises are opening. opening. And, you know, they're less risk. That's why people do better at franchising. Uh, you know, the stats are incredible. Entrepreneur uh, had a quote in there that, 15% of businesses that are started from scratch uh, are, you know, have a success rate. Only 15%. That's, That's incredible. incredibly low. And that compared to 90% of franchises. So that spread right there is just, you know, telling. And if you're a first-time business owner, uh, there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, looking at a franchise to kind of get your feet wet and buying a franchise and and then, you know, they kind of guide you. I mean, that's what it's all about is having uh, systems and 
you know, and you have the ability to resell it, you know, later on if you kind of grow out of it. So there's a lot of options in franchising and, uh, you know, and Bill talks about what to watch for when you're buying a franchise. So there's a lot of, you know, great information in this podcast. Right. Yeah. And ultimately, like, you know, when it comes to valuation too, one of the things that we, we talk to sellers about too is franchises often get a little bit of a higher valuation because there's that national brand name, national recognition. And like you said, those processes and systems that many small businesses just don't have the resources to build themselves. So you do get a boost in your valuation when you go to resell one of these units or territories that you purchase as well. Yeah, you do get a boost. I mean, people, you know, want to buy a business that has a solid system that has solid books and records and franchising inherently has that because, you know, of course the franchisers want to make sure that everybody's keeping good books and records and has good systems. And that's what it's all about. So we do see uh, franchises, uh, I think uh, Sinorama sells for almost, I I think it's uh, 20% more than uh, a regular science shop. So there are, um, reasons to buy a franchise. And, you know, a lot of people have the myth that, you know, oh, if I buy a franchise, I'm kind of boxed in. And I think our guests kind of blow that out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always tell people like there's franchises where, yeah, there you have to follow a system like to the T, but most of them, you know, you have a lot of flexibility to use your entrepreneurial skills and, and grow it and build it how you want to. And I mean, that's kind of what, you know, Al and I did. Um, and the reason we chose to go with a franchise when we started our business brokerage firm is, you know, we saw that we could start this business from our own, from scratch. It would probably take us 10, 15 years to build what Transworld had already created in terms of systems and processes and databases and recruiting strategies and, you know, all of that stuff. Or we could join a firm where we not only got all of that, but we got resources and people to utilized in our growth across the country, across the world, you know, built-in mentors, all of that stuff. So to us, it was kind of like a no-brainer and the ROI was very, very easy to calculate. Yeah. And we love our franchisees and, and franchisees are a wealth of knowledge. And a lot of franchisors, of course, get their best ideas from their franchisees. The $5 foot long from Subway, that, that was born in Miami by a franchisee. Yeah. And incredibly successful. Yeah. So there's a lot that a lot you can do as a franchisee to grow and and build your business and expand your business. And you're not just stuck in a box. But I think, you know, that our guests really explain that and explain some of the stuff like you said, Bill's gonna talk about what to look for when you're shopping for a franchise, because not all franchises are created equal. So you really have to know what you're doing and know what you're looking for and what's important to you. That's all great information and let's get to it. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Okay, we're back and we're here with Damien Becker of Sinorama. And uh, very happy to have him. He's a great friend, a great entrepreneur, has a really good story about why buy a franchise and uh, and how he's done a great job of expanding that franchise after that. But first, Damien, tell us why you bought a franchise. So in establishing a business, you know, the 
biggest thing for me was obviously to to have immediate credibility and and reliability another big part of the business and and buying a franchise being a new business coming into a market of course you join a franchise and immediately the public and your potential clients all see you as reliable and um or see you as you know see you as being able to do the job and obviously realize that there's a kind of big brother over you making sure that you're producing good quality that they can trust you you know they've got to share a deposit with you and you do a job of ten thousand dollars you know and you're just a mom and pop store or a, or a damien signs or something like that i don't know how, you know i don't know how comfortable they're going to be giving you a five thousand dollar deposit check you know they know that if something happens you know they could always get back to a corporate office and i guess they would be with any any franchise right so so for me it was you know it was about opening a business and investing in a business, but then also finding a way to have immediate sort of credibility and, and reliability and guidance. You know, I have somebody that coming into a business I don't know anything about, you know, you have somebody that can guide you and give you the best chance of being successful, share, share past experiences with you. Yeah, that's great. And I remember talking to you as soon as you bought uh, the first store. We'll talk about the second store in a minute, but uh, I remember when you uh, first Bought the first store. You said uh, you're from South Africa. If everybody couldn't hear the accent for, uh, yet, but I I remember you saying, "Hey, I checked out the sign business for what." And you went back to South Africa and you told your friends, "Hey, we're not going to start in the sign business. We're going to get with the biggest and best company, Signorama." So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I didn't know anything about about signs. You know, when I moved to the U.S. and um, I had a friend of mine back in South Africa who wanted to expand his sign business, but it's not in vinyl signs, a different kind of sign business sort of, but, but he wanted to come into the U S and, and not having been here and experienced the market at the time of that conversation, it was like, okay, no problem. You know, let's do it together. I'll be over there. We'll, we'll expand it. All these great ideas, you know, going to a new country, developing a business and, and, and to get here in a couple of months down the line, you know, after doing the market surveys, realizing there was going to be a, you know, it was going to be a tough ask to come up against the likes of Sanorama. And and at that point, then made the decision to to say, well, look, expanding and starting a, a mom and pop show or, or, you know, an unknown brand, you know, in this market is going to be a real tough ask. So, yeah, to go back to him and say, well, there's no way that I'm going to try and compete against Sanorama and you know, I'd rather just join them and be be their friend. And there was a good opportunity with a franchise and for the other reasons we spoke about now, you know, that was the decision then. Yeah. So, and you're not satisfied with, you weren't just satisfied buying one store. You've done a great job of expanding and, and, and Transworld actually helped you do that. So talk a little bit about the two opportunities that you took to expand your franchise. Cause a lot of people think about franchising and say, oh, I'm kind of stuck. And that's really never the case. You always have an opportunity to expand. So talk about the two things that you did uh, in conjunction with Transworld to expand. So once I decided to to invest in a franchise and had, and had chosen Sonorama to invest in, being with a franchise and having the guidance of the franchise and the people around obviously helped me and motivated me, you know, having a look at the success of other franchises and all that put into one equation, you know, led me to be somewhat successful in the in, in the first one, let's say, up to that point. But I got an opportunity to to look at purchasing an additional Sonorama, which is in my area, not so in not as in next door to me, but but in the same city, and uh, it just made strategic sense. 
you know, from a production perspective and from a marketing perspective. So, yeah, I got a, you know, I got offered a great opportunity through Transworld and, and obviously you were imperative in that. And, uh, and we managed to put a deal together that was a really good deal. And, um, and uh, yeah, for, for, for purely strategic reason and, and long-term stability and sales and numbers and all the other good things, yeah, you know, I made the purchase of, of the additional franchise in Fort Lauderdale. So, so in Fort Lauderdale, unbeknown to, to your normal customers in the area because we don't really go out and push it that we have both stores because the both stores still run independently. But obviously for us from a, from a manufacturing perspective, you know, it changed. But uh, yeah, we have, we have both locations and customers go to the, to the one location like they always did or to the other like they've always done. And, um, and we, we strategize and develop them in the back end as one business. So um, part of, you know, part of a successful business and the most important part is obviously the marketing side. Yeah, you've got to produce a good quality product and you've got to, um, you know, you've got to produce a product that is what the clients want. But, but you've also got to make sure that people know you're there and it's a very competitive business. So another opportunity came up again through Transworld and, and again, you were imperative in that, but uh, it was an opportunity to purchase an LED truck and uh, an LED truck is a, is a box truck of sorts with an LED screen on all sides. And, um, you know, I looked at it and, and, and realized that that was really stepping out for two reasons. The first reason is that LED signs are still up and coming. So what you've got is you've got, you know, you've got people that want to purchase LED signs. They're still a little out of reach for most people financially, but it's 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 an up and coming product. So by having an LED truck, it could put me in front of customers as a professional, as a perceived professional in LED because, you know, I would own 200 square foot of LEDs myself. So I looked at it from that perspective and then also from a marketing perspective to make sure that I can really get the brand out there and get the brand in front of in front of my customers, in front of the market. And yeah, I purchased the LED truck and, uh, you know, got me into some really, really good clients, very big clients that that weren't otherwise with me at that point. And, um, and it's worked, you know, we resell the space and, and resell the branding opportunity to clients. And uh, yeah, it's done really good for us, you know, really good. Well, two great stories. Obviously, buying the other store to expand your marketplace is always an opportunity with a franchise. You know, they're always going to look to good franchisees to expand uh, in the marketplace, uh, especially if they're doing a good job. And it was a great idea to think outside the box. And, you know, obviously being friends with Transworld uh, in the in your marketplace, you could look for opportunities to think outside the box and buy something to even expand the franchise. So uh, great stories. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Great opportunity. Good luck. Hey, Andy, you know what time I think it is? I think it's time to talk about our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Hey, we're back and we have the deal of the week and we're going to talk. We're going to go right to the Big Apple, New York City, and we're going to talk to Carrie Davis and Carrie's with us and he's got a very interesting deal, medical practice that he recently sold that he wants to tell you about. Carrie. Uh, I do a lot of healthcare listings and uh, it ranges from dental offices to everything from medical spas, rheumatologists. This was an internal medicine practice. The motivation of the seller, well, the doctor was sick himself. And it was his son who contacted me and said that his dad uh, wasn't uh, 
pretty soon wasn't going to be able to practice much longer. So, uh, and to be clear, in New York and many other states, only a licensed physician can own a doctor's office. Right. So we um, got together and I asked the doctor if he owned any other practices. And to my surprise, he said yes. He also, he also owned an urgent care center. The family had not decided what to do with that yet. And I, I said to them, it would be good if we could list both of them because we would bring more buyers to the table. One of the benefits of using a broker is that we can bring the pool of qualified investors to the table. So they agreed to to list both the internal medicine practice and and the urgent care. So we, we, this went on and unfortunately the doctor died. So now the son, who's not a physician, had to, uh, sell the practice. So there's a medical director who's now officially running the practice, but the practice needs to be sold. At the beginning, they priced the practice at 900000 This is for a practice that was billing, an internal medicine practice that was billing 600000 and their earnings was 400000 So a 600000 gross with a $900,000 price tag is, is just not going to work. Right. And I took the listing anyway, because as we work with people, they begin to understand it. And, and because of the events with the, with the father dying, the family realized it was time to get frankly realistic about the price. So that's an important message that, that I want to get across. And that is if, if a person is motivated to sell a practice or, or really any business, and they need to sell it as soon as possible, then they can't at the same time be asking for a premium for that business. Yeah, and we've seen medical practices really have a tough time uh, in selling. It just doesn't seem to be the model anymore for people that run individual practices. So um, they were lucky to find a buyer, and that's what we're good at, Transworld. Yes, yep. And there's this correlation between the price of the business that's for sale and the times to take that it takes to get the deal done. So um, we finally uh, made the deal for $225,000. And about four months later, which was just a little while ago, I called the new buyer and asked them how things were going. And it turns out that that doctor decided that he wanted to sell the practice because he was having problems with his other practice. So now I'm able to introduce to sell the same practice again, introducing other people who have been interested before. So uh, it was kind of a complicated deal, but we got it done. Yeah. And, you know, it gave that other doctor an opportunity and obviously it didn't fit them. And that's the good thing about Transworld. You know, they could always come back and resell it. So it was about 225 with 50% down, you said? That's correct. 50% down. And it, it, it would fall in line with exactly what the bank was looking for to support the deal. So it was financed by a bank? No, it wasn't, but it was seller financed. But um, but we, uh, our banker friends are helpful uh, to you know put it together. But in this case, it, it turned out to be seller financing. Okay. Well, it's a good deal of the week. Uh, selling a unique business, the medical practices, which we do sell a lot of. 
And uh, I appreciate you calling in today. Thanks. Thanks very much, Andy. Have a good day. All right. Welcome back, everybody. And today, as you know, we're talking to successful owners that have built their businesses through franchising. And I'd like to welcome a good friend of mine, Ryan Tracy, to the show. Ryan, how are you? And thanks for joining. Well, I'm doing great. I don't know if you can count me as successful, but I'm, I'm glad to be a part of the show, Jessica. So, so thank you for having me. And if anything, it makes me feel successful. But I'm doing wonderful and I'm really glad to be here today. Great, great. Well, Ryan, tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, um, your company, and kind of your background. Sure, glad to. Uh, well, as you said, my name is Ryan Tracy, and I'm uh, currently the, the CEO uh, of Baron Troy Holdings. We are located in Denver, Colorado, and uh, we focus on franchise businesses and then also real estate as well. Uh, prior to uh, to starting my own company, which I have quite a few partners in, but prior to starting this company back in 2009. I previously worked for a consulting company called Accenture and did supply chain management and strategy consulting for them. Uh, and that prior to that, I uh, earned my uh, master's in business administration and entrepreneurship. So always had that entrepreneurial bug and uh, eventually got into business 10 years ago, started out in the franchising and, and never looked back. Yeah. So, I mean, you've built a, a pretty big organization now, but let's go back to those first days. Why did you decide to build your company through fran- franchising? What was, you know, what was the draw for you there? Yeah. Well, uh, it, I'll answer it as kind of a two-part question, Jessica. Uh, I'll answer the franchising second, but the first part was uh, someone kind of uh, chose uh, the opportunity for me. I was uh, doing supply chain and, and strategy consulting work for, for Accenture Consulting Company back in 2008. And uh, most folks remember that the economic times were not that great back then. People weren't that focused on consultants and worrying about their business three, five, ten years from now. So uh, Accenture laid me off with, I don't know, 10,000 or so of my good friends in that large organization. So I kind of had to find a new opportunity. I'd always planned on working for about five years outside of business school before I started my own business. And that's why I went to business school for entrepreneurship. Uh, that time just came a little bit earlier than I thought it was going to come. So kind of got thrown into it. When I first started looking for entrepreneurial opportunities, Jessica, I, uh, I really was uh, I really was not for franchising. I wanted to do my own thing. I felt I was too entrepreneurial to be in that box, uh, and it just did not appeal to me. After meeting with a bunch of different business brokers and uh, also meeting with some franchise consultants, I received a phone call one day from somebody that said they had an opportunity for me that they thought fit the criteria that I was looking for, uh, and it was mining key car care centers. Uh, having grown up fairly rural back in the Midwest, I was not familiar with Meineke, but I had studied the automotive business and uh, liked the cost opportunities there. Also liked the price point at which these businesses were listed. And especially with the economic times back there in 2009, uh, I felt I was getting a, a good opportunistic value on these businesses that I could create a platform from to then go on and build uh, other opportunities, which I've moved on to over the years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a great story. And, you know, I think a lot of people were in that situation, 07, 08, 09, you know, there's a lot of close friends that all went through that, that process. But um, let's talk about what it's, what has become now. So when you, you made that first acquisition with Meineke, how many locations um, did you purchase and, and where are you at today? Yeah. Great, great question. It's uh it's fun to walk down memory lane and I think it helps me uh, realize, you know, what we've accomplished over that amount of time. Uh, we started out uh, by buying four Meineke car care centers. Uh, they were all more or less bankrupt, had been run into the ground by the prior owner. He had turned them over to the gentleman that sold them those businesses. Uh, and when we bought those four locations from him, 
it was more or less a fire sale. He kind of needed to get out of it. He didn't want to be in it. And uh, me being the, the, the consultant that I was in the NBA, I thought it would be no problem for myself and, and my business partner to buy these four businesses and turn them around. Everybody told me I was crazy. Turns out they were 100% right. I was crazy. It was way more than we were able to uh, stomach and handle. Uh, but over time, we eventually figured it out, Jessica. You just got to put your, you know, your time and your, your sweat and your tears into the business and work through it and kind of muscle it. Uh, and we did that. And we eventually figured it out. We went on to buy a fifth location, and then we bought a sixth location. And then at that point, Meineke Car Care Centers, the company, had been sold from one private equity group to another private equity group. And the new private equity group said, hey, we don't want our company-owned stores in Colorado. How would you like to buy them? So we bought four of those. And then we started buying some stores from owners that were wanting to retire, move out of the system. We eventually got up to 13 stores. Uh, currently on the Meineke side of the business, we're at 10 stores. Uh, the, the three or four that we've sold over the years have not been due to the fact that they were necessarily bad stores. It was just an opportunity for us to take some of that cash flow to then grow into other businesses. About five or six years ago, we started buying real estate. Uh, due to our franchise business providing us with the cash flow. And then also some of the real estate we were initially buying was the locations that we were operating at. So we kind of looked at it, just because we were double dipping. We were making cash flow on these businesses that we were operating, but we were also buying the property and paying down the debt while here in Colorado, most of those properties have been appreciating as well. Uh, and then about a year and a half ago, we got into our second franchise concept, Papa Murphy's Take and Bake Pizzas. So currently, our organization looks like this. We have 10 Meineke Car Care Centers. We have eight Papa Murphy's Take and Bake locations. And then we have 15 different types of uh, real estate, both commercial, office, residential, uh, and then vac vacation timeshare type properties. And we have about 150 employees uh, currently in our organization. Wow. Wow. So all from that, you know, one decision, leaving Accenture, you've built it into this, this great and large and very very successful organization. Um, and it's very smart too, like diversifying, not just staying with, not just Meineke and diversifying into a second brand, but you know, the real estate play I think is something that not a lot of people realize they can do in a franchise organization or what they can leverage. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that's been very successful for you in that regard. I don't know if you have anything to add or advice to give to people if, if they're in a retail type franchise of how to get into the real uh, real estate side as well. Yeah, well, uh, I, yeah, I, I received very good advice on that back in 2010 when we first got into business. And, uh, you know, a couple uh, mentors of mine that were in the real estate world, even though they were getting killed then, they said, hey, this will turn. You're in a great opportunity here to buy, buy real estate. I kept saying that I couldn't. I needed to invest in my business. Looking back on it, it was the right decision, although I wish I could have uh, picked up some of those properties for dirt cheap prices back then. But, you know, you, you can't always do it. But my advice to entrepreneurs out there, especially in the franchise space, would be get your business up and running, get it to the point where it's cash flowing and making money. And then if you can, at that point, approach your landlord and say, hey, is there any chance that you'd be willing to sell this location that I'm operating at? If you can do that, going back to what I was calling it double dipping before, you're in a great spot because not only are you cash flowing your business and eventually paying off that debt and then making money to, to pay the bills and pay your salary and other salaries as well, but then you also have your building there that you're paying the debt down on and you're also most likely seeing that building appreciate in value over the years. So at the end of the day, whenever your time comes to retire or move on, grow, whatever it might be, 
not only are you going to have the great asset in this business that you built among over the years, but you're also going to have this property on the other side that should be worth a good amount of money. And even if you decide to sell that business someday, then you're going to have money coming in from that property from the rents that you're receiving off of it. So that double dipping strategy is uh, one that I would really recommend to people if they're willing to do it. But sometimes it's a big pill to swallow because when you look at some of these buildings that you want to buy, for us, they're sometimes two, three, four times the price of what we pay for the business. So uh, it can be a, a bit intimidating. Right, right. But yeah, great advice, great advice and and very solid bez- business strategy for entrepreneurs. So speaking of adv- advice, what advice would you have for entrepreneurs in the franchise space? If someone is you know, unsure of going into franchising um, or maybe they're starting to investigate, what are some keys that you would look for for successful franchisors or keys that you did look for during your search? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Great question, Jessica. I, I took that question very seriously uh, before I got into business for myself. From the time I got laid off until I actually was operating uh, my first business, it was 10 months almost exactly. Uh, so you, you need to be diligent about what you're doing and, and not just go, well, my brother-in-law is in a, in, a, in a franchise business, so I'm going to do that. Or, you know, I really like cars, so I'm going to do a mining key. I, it's my best advice would be to reach out to as many individuals that can that either are franchisees or franchisors or have been in the past. If you know people, that's really the best people to reach out to. If you don't know people, any franchisor that you speak with is going to give you uh, their FDD. And in that listing is going to have all the franchisees across the country. And what I did when I was looking at different franchises is I would call the people that had no horse in the game, that they, they, they had no stake in me joining the system or not, unlike the franchisor that wanted to sell me a license. And I'd call these folks up and say, hey, what do you think about uh, your franchise? Or what do you think about your business? Uh, would you recommend it to somebody like myself, give them a little information, a little background? I think it's also helpful, Jessica, to uh, know exactly what you're looking for. Okay, And when I was talking earlier about the criteria that I was looking for, I really told these franchise consultants and business brokers, hey, I I want three things here. Okay, I want to stay in Denver. I don't want to go to Colorado Springs. I don't want to go east. I don't want to go west. This is where my family is. I want to stay. Okay, I want multiple units. I wanted to buy two to three to maybe even four units because I wanted to come in with some scale. So there would be enough opportunity for both myself and my business partner to grow this organization. And the third thing that I wanted is I wanted an organization where I could see a roll-up opportunity. And by a roll-up opportunity, I wanted to be able to say, okay, I can see how I can go in here and buy two or three or even four locations and someday grow it to 10 or 12 or 13 or 15 locations because it was my mindset from right out of the gate. I don't always want to be working in my business. I want to be working on my business. And I thought if I worked on my business, I would grow it potentially you even the size that we have today, where if I was working in my business, I might run the one and only best banking car care center in the country, but it would only be one. And there's no right or wrong way to it, but I think it's important for you to choose what path you want and then reach out to those organizations, those franchisors and those franchisees that you think fit what you're looking for, ask the right questions. And if you can get those folks on the, on the phone, they're most likely going to give you the best, most open and honest feedback that you could ever receive. Wow. There's so much great advice in that, Ryan, like just so much. And I hope our listeners listen to that whole section and listen to it again. But, you know, I love knowing what you want, um, creating your set of rules around it 
enlisting people to help you in your search, like franchise brokers and, and business brokers. But I think, you know, that key of just calling people that have no skin in the game, right? Those franchisees don't, like you said, they don't care if you join the organization or not. Like if you do great, if not, you know, there'll be somebody else, but getting their true and honest feedback on how the franchise system's operating. So, so much great advice in there. So, um, last question before we wrap it up is, you know, franchise related, not franchise related, you know, what do you think have been the top three keys to your success in business? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great question as well. I can't tell you how often I get that question, uh, Jessica. And I, and I also can't tell you, I probably get a phone call every two weeks, uh, from somebody that's considering joining the Meineke or Papa Murphy system, uh, making that same phone call that I just recommended to your listeners to make that phone call. And I'm usually glad to take it if I can make the time. And, and I'd say 50% of the time they ask me, hey, what's been your top you know, one or two or three keys to success? And, and I usually answer it uh, this way, uh, people, people, and, and people. Uh, and to say people again, people will ask me, hey, Ryan, what's your greatest strength in your business? How'd you get to where you were? And I go, oh, my God. It's our people. They're the best. I just, I can't imagine doing it without them. They're the reason that we are what we are. And they go, oh, that's great. That's right. What's your biggest weakness? And I go, oh my God, it's our people. Uh, you know, we, we have people that, you know, are not doing a good job and, and we need to find them a different opportunity or a different role. Uh, and, and they struggle there. As you hear coaches say all the time, we're only as strong as our weakest link on our team. Okay. And we're always trying to get stronger. I'm not trying to say the people that are in our bottom or 10, 20% of our organization are bad people. A lot of times they're just not in a right fit. A lot of times it's our fault. We haven't given them a good enough training system and processes and procedures to be successful. The people make all the difference in the world. And if you have good people, I will guarantee you that you are going to be successful. If you don't have good people, I can almost guarantee you that no one single person or two make that business successful if you don't have good people behind you. So I really wanted to just start by answering that, and that's how strongly I feel about it. If I was really pressed to give you two others other than people, people and people, Jessica, it would be don't go into any project undercapitalized as you'll almost go over budget. I talk to new franchisees all the time, and they're buying a business, and I say, how much operating capital do you have? And they're, oh, I have $10,000. And I say, well, that might not be enough. And they're like, well, you know, I'm going to make money right out of the gates, and things are going to go great, and the business is already doing well. That's true, but, you know, sometimes that's not necessarily enough money. You're almost always going to make less money than you think initially. You're almost always going to go over budget with regards to building out a store or buying equipment, hiring people, your marketing, your grand opening plan. So don't go into any project undercapitalized or you're probably going to fail potentially soon if you don't have enough money. The last one I'd probably state, and this is something that we, we've absolutely followed to a T, uh, Jessica, is always be looking for that next opportunity. Always be listening. You never know where that next great opportunity may come from. And by that next great opportunity, I'm referring to the fact that maybe you own one franchise location. When you go to that franchise meeting, listen to the people in the room. You're going to hear people that want to leave the business, that want to sell the business, that maybe they're moving, they can't run the business anymore. Be, be looking for that. Be listening for that. And don't strike one just because, well, that's 20 miles away from my current store. I can't do that. Think about it. Same thing on the real estate side. You go talk to your landlord and you say, hey, I'd like to renew my lease for five years. And landlord goes, hey, would you be considering, would you be potentially willing to buy a building from me? Don't just go, no, no, I, I know I can't afford that. Walk down that path. Listen. And if you do that, especially if you do all three of those things, especially the people one, I think anyone's going to be successful out in the franchise world. 
That's great. Again, some great advice. And, you know, after getting to know you the last couple of years, I can tell you, the listeners, you truly live that advice too. That's exactly how you run your business every day. And Ryan, it's been so great having you on the show. I know you've had a ton of success, but only wish you more continued success in the future. And thank you so much for sharing your advice and your time with the listeners today. Well, you're, you're, you're extremely kind, Jessica, and uh, very nice words, but I, I thank you and I appreciate it. And I also thank you for giving me the opportunity to participate in your show today. And uh, it's been a lot of fun and I uh, wish everybody that's listening all the best luck out there. Go chase your dreams and, and you'll be successful. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for listing of the week. Welcome back. And we're with Nate Ernest Jones and it's time for listing of the week, as we just said. And uh, we've got a good one, a very interesting business, niche type of business uh, for janitorial equipment. So Nate, take it away. Okay. So this is uh, a company located in South Florida and um, they focus exclusively on providing uh, various janitorial companies, cleaning companies, facilities, maintenance companies with their uh, janitorial equipment. So specifically power washers, floor waxers, um, those kind of uh, larger ticket items. So this has a a really strong history and um, the current owners who are looking to sell um, are the second owners. This is kind of, in some respects, this is your standard um, run-of-the-mill listing, let's call it. Uh, it's It's got, you know, pretty decent books and records. Um, owners are looking to retire. And uh, there's a learning curve to the business. Um, but I think that a, a somewhat motivated buyer would look at this and see that it's, it's within reach. So what makes... You know, there, there, there's going to be hiccups to any uh, listing, right? If you have a checklist of 10 items as a buyer, um, if you can check off eight boxes, then that's, that is the business for you. And like any other listing, this has a couple of hiccups. Um, these, this business decided to move locations uh, from about probably three years ago. And uh, as a result of moving, there was some attrition in the customers uh, and the employee base. So... As I mentioned, they're looking to retire. And uh, as I'm sure a, a lot of you out there can can relate, um, sometimes you have a business that is just maintaining. They're not looking to invest any more money in the marketing or growing the business. They just want to maintain. And that's okay, but that is not sustainable in the long term. So we have a business that, you know, year over year, probably three years since they moved, moved, um, had a slight, probably 10% decrease in revenues each year. Now that doesn't mean it's not a healthy business, but it does mean that it's not going to qualify for financing. And let me give you uh, some metrics about this business, uh, asking 300,000 purchase price, making about 145 a year, 145,000 net net profit to the owner a year. And that $300,000 price tag includes a hundred thousand of inventory. Now, Recognizing that they're not going to find, uh, not going to be able to get financing for the buyer that they find, uh, they are willing to do two things to compensate for it. Number one, they're willing to finance a third of the sale, meaning they'll accept two hundred thousand at closing, and they'll finance a hundred thousand over a year or two to be negotiated. 
And the other thing is um, the owner is wanting to stay on for a very long transition. And, you know, the conversations that we've had um, include him staying on for about four to six months just to ensure that the buyer is super comfortable in the sale. So I think the key takeaway from this is um, having a seller, having a business owner that recognizes the strengths of the business, but also the weaknesses uh, from, from the buyer's perspective is really critical in having them, let's say, tailor the business according and, and accordingly and approach the market accordingly um, to make a buyer feel comfortable. Perfect. Thank you, Nate. Hey, we're back. And today we're talking about franchising and we have a very special guest. We have Bill Luce, who is the president of Trans World Business Advisors uh, worldwide. And he is here to talk about franchise. He's been in franchising for a long, long time. Uh, Sinorama, other brands. I'm going to get let him talk about his background a little bit. And we're going to talk about, you know, why would you consider buying a franchise and who's a good franchise buyer? Why should you look at that opportunity? So here's Bill Luce. Thanks, Andy. Good to be here. Um, as you had mentioned, my background, I have about 25 years experience in franchising and, you know, franchising dominates every single industry it gets into, whether it's any type of food, business service, automotive, retail, you name it. And the reason for that is because franchise enables people to learn the business much quicker. Um, there's systems in place to help be people be successful. I mean, if somebody says, well, couldn't I just do this on my own? I guess the answer would be, yeah, I guess you could. But the problem is that the amount of time it would take you to learn the business, develop marketing materials, develop technology, develop a training program for your employees, it probably wouldn't be a cost-effective way to go. You know, I could make the argument anything's in walking distance if you have the time, but why would you put yourself through that? It's the same thing with a business. Um, what I look at franchising as is it's kind of the roadmap. And if you had to drive from, say, West Palm Beach to Seattle, could you eventually get there if you didn't have a map? The answer is, yeah, I guess you could eventually get there, but you'll have to keep stopping, asking directions, getting frustrated, probably wasting money. Same thing with a business venture. A franchise allows you to get from point A to point B much quicker with less aggravation, and it's usually much more cost-effective. That's a great synopsis. So, so who's a good franchise buyer? I mean, I, there are people out there that are like serial entrepreneurs and they're going to do it their own way. But who, what makes a good franchise buyer? Well, I, I would say the first thing is definitely an entrepreneurial spirit. But usually it's somebody who can follow systems, um, not typically somebody who wants to completely reinvent the wheel. It's somebody who can kind of fit into a program. And, and um, I will tell you that uh, traditionally um, – People from the military, veterans usually make very, very good franchisees because they're used to following that type of system. But um, the profile would be somebody that's that's business oriented and really wants to succeed and, and is driven to succeed. That's great. And, you know, the people, the reason why franchising is doing so well is because there's fewer failures in franchising, right? Yes, across the board. I mean, franchising probably runs about a 95% success rate, which is very, very high. Um, again, it shortens that learning curve of people that are going into business, especially if someone's going into an industry that they don't have any prior experience in, which that's that's not uncommon, obviously, with franchising. It allows people to 
learn the business, get up to speed, have the systems, and also have support when they have questions. You know, sometimes if you go into an independent business that's not a franchise, you got to kind of work through different problems and different challenges that might arise where a franchise gives you the opportunity to check with people that are familiar with the business and knows what it takes to be successful. So there's hundreds, if not thousands of franchises out there in the world. How does someone even like start to consider which franchise is good for them and how should they check them out? Well, with Transworld, we have a network of over 400 people that are franchise consultants. We represent over 300 different franchise options in all different industries. Um, United Franchise Group has a wonderful portfolio of franchises from service-type businesses to food to office-based to retail. So it's a good cross-section. But I would say um, look, at, look at your strengths. Look at what you want to get into. A lot of people go into franchising without knowing exactly what they want to do. Um, Frankly, it's usually more common that people say what they don't want to do and start ruling things out. But I would say for any type of business you're looking for, chances are there's a franchise in that industry available. And you mentioned UFG and of course, Transworld is a part of UFG, but you know, and the reason why we talked about it on our franchise development podcast, why I chose uh, UFG and why other people might choose UFG is that they have a, a program where they actually fly you out to take a look at them. I mean, that's one of the things, right? You should check them out. That's right, Andy. I would highly recommend anybody who's looking seriously at a franchise opportunity, you want to go out, you want to visit their corporate office. Um, Usually that's called a discovery day, but it gives you an opportunity to really meet the people that you're going to be working with and see if your values coincide with their values and really get a good handle on the type of business that it is. Um, United Franchise Group, we stress that very, very much in that it's a two-way street. You're getting, the franchisee is getting to know us, but we're also getting to know them. And if either of us decides that it's not a good match, no hard feelings. It's part of the research process, and that's why it's very important. So when somebody finally does take the leap and joins a franchise system, what's your advice for them in the beginning? I would say follow the program, work hard, nothing comes easy. But um, with franchising, there's systems in place that will allow you to start off at a much faster rate. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. The programs they have in place typically are proven. Franchises know what works. And more importantly, they know what doesn't work. So you don't want to spend a lot of time and money on things that don't work. So I would say the most important thing, follow the program. That was the answer I was hoping for. Bill, great having you on today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Andy. Happy to be here. Thanks for tuning in to our show today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review. If you have questions or suggestions for the show, visit us at tworld slash the deal board or email us at the deal board at tworld.com. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.